Hello, and welcome to the Half Blind Hecklers, episode 37. Today, you almost we forgot. Got an interesting show. Yes, I almost did forget the name. But here's the Half Blind Hecklers. Here at the Half Blind like, Hecklers. We are, we are running for Senate today. I mean, uh, running for president. We're not Joe Biden. No, here yes. at the Half Blind Hecklers, we may be blind, but we can still see the truth. Who's, who said that? Where, where are you? I, Show I yourself. I coined it. I coined it. It's now our. It's now the show's catchphrase. Uh, <laughs> so very today clever. We're, today we're going to talk about a few different things. Go away. Uh, first off, we're going to talk about the takeaways and the fallout from the Amy Coney Barrett's judiciary confirmation hearings. Oh, it's been so much fun. <laughs> then we're going to talk about the fallout from the Biden secret emails and the tech censorship that followed. Da, then da, da. we're going to talk about the a bunch of lawyers that are suing the, the Germans. The Germans are coming, and they're they're going to sue you. They're suing the Chinese over yes, damages. Suing everyone. <laughs> we're going to talk about the most common COVID nineteen test, known as the PCR test. Is it any good? You'll see. No. Then finally, oh, uh, we're going to talk about breaking news. The breaking news <gasps> is that C-SPAN suspends Steve Scully after he admits to lying about hacking. And that oh, yeah. is why we don't have a presidential debate tonight. Oh, sad. So that's the rundown. Now we're going to jump straight in. <clears throat> so, as everyone knows, nobody doesn't know this. Everyone knows that right now there are the confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett and her nomination to the United States Supreme Court. This starts. Jeez, hmm? you gotta like. When did this whole thing start? This is so unexpected. Yeah, nobody, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming. Of course not. So, <laughs> as as many people have talked about, this has been the focus of a lot of attention because it's close to an election, and the Democrats mm -hmm. would love for the confirmation hearings to be postponed. Until after the election, because they want to fill the court with liberals, and they do not want a solid originalist slash constitutionist like Judge yep. Barrett. Yep. Actually, they so, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Stephen Crowder. He did like a couple of uh, change my mind segments. Yes, he did. I've seen about that whole about that whole idea. He basically asked mm -hmm. people, "Okay, I know you don't want them to to, <laughs> to, to select her. a." To but confirm her, can you give me a viable reason why they shouldn't? <laughs> They're like, well, I, I, I think they should wait. And like, yeah. okay, I, you just want them? And so nobody nobody could yeah. present a legitimate reason. I don't mm. know, just, I just don't want it to happen. Yeah, and it was, it's just kind of ridiculous. But, yeah, so it's, but anyway, it's so been the main, a big, big topic. The main takeaways. So uh, Lindsey Graham, who is the... Uh, Judiciary love Chairman, guy. I loved Lindsey Graham too. So he said the one who spanked about... the, the Democrats after yes. like the Kavanaugh hearings. Yeah, this is probably <laughs> not about persuading each other unless something really dramatic happens. All Republicans will vote yes, and all Democrats will vote no, and that would be yeah. the way the breakout of the vote. But he added that the hearings give the American people to ch the chance to find out about Judge Barrett. Mm -hmm. so they really don't because of the Ginsburg rule, but <laughs> <laughs> so. 
the hearings revealed very little about Barrett's views on major legal issues like healthcare, abortion rights, voting rights, or gun rights. Instead of those watching, mm-hmm. learned about her overarching approach to the law and as an originalist who believes the role of a justice is to adhere to the text of a statute rather than interpret it or interpret or make policy from the bench, which is good. Hey, Stephen, maybe you can uh, maybe you can explain to the uh, listeners, like mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't know, what what is the Ginsburg rule? For those who don't know, uh, we're going to go into that and actually just scroll down to it right now. So cool. the Ginsburg rule, Barrett cited the woman whose seat she would take, the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who established what would became become known as the Ginsburg rule. At several points, Barrett reiterated that this means no hints, no previews, no forecasts. And the Democrats were, of course, not surprisingly, not satisfied with that response or her stream of mm-hmm. non-answers on a range of issues. They said that President Trump publicly vowed to appoint judges who would overturn Obamacare and that recently he pushed for speedy confirmation of his nominee to the high court in the event that the 2020 election results ended up before the court, mm-hmm. which they likely will. Mm-hmm. So it's not good to have a 4-4 tie when there's more than the most contentious elections likely in, history. in American history. Mm-hmm. So GOP senators, they were making leaps and suggesting some sort of backroom deal. Mm-hmm. So most of, the, uh, most of the stuff about this like the questions that the democrats asking most of them were like what is your opinion on this mm-hmm. most of them were okay and were just like normal democratic political grandstanding and then mm-hmm. there were people like Maisie hirono and cory oh, before, booker well, before we, get, we hirono, get we'll talk about cory booker cory booker okay. asked her if she condemns white supremacy Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I've never heard of a Supreme Court justice being asked this. Yeah, and then after and not she only said that, that not, she only, did, not only not only that, this he, he response. Yeah, like, and not only did he ask her, but then he's like, "I wish our, I wish our president, you know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. denounced white supremacy." And you're like, "He did. You are a freaking liar." And yeah. and it's it bothers I me wish, that they. I keep wish the Republican senators would have been like. I'm not going to ask her a question, but I'm just going to say that Cory Booker, you're either ignorant or arrogant to the truth, because yeah. it's clear that you either just don't care what the truth is, or that you just don't care. Like you haven't researched it enough to actually know. Mm-hmm. So. I think it should be said like that. Uh, I mean, I've been watching a lot of the interrogations, the highlights, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. the big thing that that came across is that all the Democratic senators. They know that she's going to get confirmed, so they're mm-hmm. actually appealing to the American public. This is basically oh, yeah. they're not talk they're not talking to um, Barrett. They're talking to the American people, which is why they're they're trotting out all these sad sob stories mm-hmm. about these poor little kid and poor little like you know like grandma and poor little like you know like somebody else and somewhere else and like. When you, if you refuse to answer the question, you're you're scaring the crap out of them. That's basically the grandstanding and the fear porn that they're just the panic porn that they're just selling to the American people because they want to make a case next year if they win for packing the court. Mm-hmm. They want to they want to make the case that oh you see this was totally like illegitimate. This was totally wrong. Mm-hmm. We now have a reason and the the justification to pack the court. Yeah. I think one of the best responses that Barrett had was in response in exchange with Amy Klobuchar. Oh, yeah, that was and good one. Klobuchar said that 
Uh, so Klobuchar Barrett stated that she viewed a half a dozen cases as super precedents, cases that could not be overturned because they are established law. She pointed to a case outlawing school segregation, but did not include Roe in that list, explaining that there continues to be litigation on this issue. Roe is not a super precedent because calls for its overruling have never ceased. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that Maybe Roe now. should be overruled. And that's I know that Amy Cody Barrett does personally believe that it should be overruled. But she mm-hmm. can't say that it should be overruled during this Senate confirmation hearing because of the Ginsburg rule. But, you know, I, I, I will say I like the Ginsburg rule. I actually think she, I, I it, do, it makes because sense. It, it doesn't try and, like, turn people against judges based on their opinions. It says, yeah. okay, are you going to base based on your opinions or are you going to b- judge based mm-hmm. on the law? Yeah, and, and it and basically says that I, if, if I'm going rules. to like you know like have a have a law that is going to come before me at some point, if I state an opinion, mm-hmm. then I've kind of like almost like given away any any form of um, objectability uh, objectiveness. I basically mm-hmm. said like, oh, I'm I'm more likely to rule this way, mm-hmm. and so that that's bad for judicial like you know yeah. trust, right? Yeah, and the interesting thing is that the Ginsburg rule was actually came into being because Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not an originalist and not a constitutionalist and that she knew that her opinions and that her rulings would be against the text of the Constitution because she would interpret it in a way that neither the founders or anybody reading it would actually find meaning to. Mm -hmm. And she kind of applied her own twist to the Constitution. So mm-hmm. that's why that entire thing was started, and it was actually started because of Joe Biden. Yeah, because <laughs> they used that they, they used that thing against another mm-hmm. uh, Supreme Court appointee. Yeah, the and then they Robert knew that the Republicans Ford. were using it on Ginsburg, so they yeah. they created this rule. Mm-hmm. Funny how the Democrats keep making holes and they keep falling into their own. Pits. And then yeah, and then they get mad when people actually say like, "But you did it first. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. yeah. So the biggest kind of interesting story that came out of these Senate confirmation hearings was a question from Maisie Hirono, or more of a statement. So, during the... During the uh, actually, more of an accusation, I'd say. Yeah, it was more of an accusation. So, Barrett was attacked Tuesday by Senator Maisie Hirono, who claimed that a respected judge deliberately used the term of sexual preference during her confirmation hearing it is used by anti-LGBTQ activists suggest that sexual orientation as a choice it is not. Sexual orientation is a key part of a person's identity, Hirono said. In remarks, she also tweeted, it is your view that sexual orientation is merely a preference, then the LGBT community should be rightly concerned whether you would uphold their constitutional right to marry. Only problem is, is that a whole bunch of known Democrats use that exact same term. Yep last year and just actually a few months ago. And then the really troubling thing is that the Merriam-Webster dictionary by that night, under its general listing for preference, it added an offensive warning before the part listing sexual preference. Mm -hmm. The term preference is used to refer to sexual orientation is widely considered offensive and it's implied suggestion that a person can choose who they are sexually or romantically attracted to. The dictionary added an extra guidance. Yeah. The dictionary it, confirmed the change was being made because of the Senate hearing spat. The Democrats mm-hmm. have so much power, they have so much control over the institutions that they control the dictionaries. 
They control yeah, I, I what think it, words mean. Well, I, I think like, you know, like it was not even that long ago, I think like this summer, that the, the dictionaries, most of the major dictionaries, including uh, dictionary.com, they updated oh. all of their uh, dictionary, uh, uh, like LGBT, like, you know, like uh, things, including removing the, the term homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So this has already been yeah. going on. Oh, yeah. This it's, is just the most blatant uh, example of it. I didn't go over it earlier, but they also did it to the term racism. Oh, yeah. Because racism used to mean, like, uh, an ideology or belief where one race is superior to another. And now mm-hmm. it's one definition is an ideology or belief. And the second one has to do with power structures. And as long yeah. as you're in power then the people opposed to you can't be racist. And it's like, what? Mm-hmm. But anyway. It's, it's that, that, that whole idea comes from critical race theory, uh, which is why they're, they're fitting it in. This is part of a longstanding approach by, yeah. by, by like leftists uh-huh. to redefine language. Yeah, we talked this about critical race the theory about two months ago. So I'm just going to briefly show you the actual changes. So here's the first one. And as you can tell, one two, three, four, or the same in both. Then I'm going to go to the second one. So note the fifth one, orientation, sense, to be, slash, slash, double, sexual preference. The new one is fine for one, two, three, and four. Five, offensive, see usage paragraph below, orientation, sense, to be, sexual preference. So they added the section about being offensive because of that involvement in the Senate hearing. Mm -hmm. Which... It was never considered offensive until this week. Mm-hmm. So, and to be fair, like you know, organizations like Vlad and um, other major, like you know, uh, they leftist, used it. Uh, like, yeah, they've they've used that term. Mm-hmm. So this this it's shows that being offended, being offended is not an objective thing. It's just I feel offended now. Yeah, and they change it all the time. So they're constantly changing the rules. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, Ben Shapiro said, they're playing Calvin Ball, constantly yes. changing the rules every <laughs> moment. Yes, Calvin Ball. Okay, a new rule. Moving on to the next topic. The next topic is a bomb. So, emails. Your butt. Smoking. Your butt is the bomb. Only my wife can say that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Brooklyn Nine-Nine quote. It's a Brooklyn wondering. Nine-Nine quote. There is a bomb at this wedding. All right. Smoking gun email reveals how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessman to VP dad. So Hunter Biden introduced his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, to a talk executive at a Ukrainian energy firm less than a year before. The elder Biden pressured government officials in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company. The never-before-revealed meaning is mentioned in a message of appreciation that Vadim Pozarsky, an advisor to the board of Burisma, allegedly sent Hunter Biden on April 17, 2015, about a year after he joined the board, at a reported salary of $50,000 a month. Dang, that would be nice. Mm, that would be <laughs> nice money. Mm-hmm. Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to, for me to meet your father. And spend some time together. It's realty, an honor and pleasure. An earlier email shows that Pozarski, reportedly Burisma's number three exec, asking Hunter for advice on how you can use your influence on the company's behalf. Mm. So this was all discovered because so a just, Mac. I should, we got, go for I it. should just say this sounds this sounds a lot, 
like the liberal kind of style scandals that are mm -hmm. happening in Canada. You know, yeah. Justin Trudeau helping a company not get prosecuted by pressuring his own attorney general. Very similar, mm -hmm. if you know the SNC Lablin scandal, very yeah. similar to that. Basically, mm -hmm. a misuse of your power. Yeah, for sure. So, when it comes to Ukraine, Trump is not the corrupt one. Biden is. Now, how they found this stuff. So, the computer which had all this information, the MacBook, which was water damage, was dropped off at a repair shop in Biden's home state of Delaware in April 2019. So, other material that was extracted, um, the water damaged MacBook Pro was never paid for, and it was never retrieved, according to the shop owner, who said he repeatedly tried to contact the client. The shop owner couldn't positively identify the customer as Hunter Biden, but said the laptop bore a sticker from the Bo Biden Foundation named after Hunter's late brother. And photos of a federal subpoena given to the Post show that both the computer and hard drive were seized by the FBI in December after the shop's owner says he alerted the feds to their existence. Mm -hmm. So, so last course, December they knew about this. Yeah, they knew about it last December. Before turning over the gear, he said he made a copy and gave it to former Mater Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, Robert Costello, and mm -hmm. they provided the Post with a copy of it on Sunday. So less than eight months after Brzezowski thanked Hunter Biden for the introduction to his dad, the then vice president admitted admittedly pressured Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko and Prime Minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk into getting rid Ooh, of nice prosecution. Thank you. Into mm -hmm. getting rid of Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin, Shokin by threatening to withhold $1 billion U.S. loan guarantee during a December 2015 trip to Kiev. I looked at them and I said, I'm leaving in six hours. So the prosecutor is not fired. You're not getting the money. Biden infamously blanked to a Council on Foreign Relations in 2018. Dang, that is biting him in the butt right now. Well, oh, yeah. son of a gun, he got <laughs> fired. So, he had, Shokin had said that at the time, he made specific plans to escape Burisma, <laughs> including interrogations <laughs> and other crime investigation procedures to all members, including Hunter Biden. So, Joe Biden insisted that it was, he wanted him removed over corruption concerns, but but really doesn't hold too much water. And shortly after Hunter Biden joined the Burisma board, uh, Pozarski attempted to get him to use his political leverage to help the company. So, like yeah. all of this. So basically, is, yeah, all of this. Is basically, this is this is uh, so this is basically the the way I understand it. Um, back then, when the allegations came up, Biden just Joe Biden said. Oh, I had no dealings with my son and no conversations mm -hmm. with him about his banks in Ukraine. So, and then people were saying that, oh, did you use your your power as the vice president to essentially get get the get the investigation dropped against your son's company because of who knows what what's going on there? He's like, no, no, no. This was part of like a a bigger corruption thing altogether. And back then, it's legitimate. But now that these emails come up, now it's like, oh, wait a second. It seems like Joe Biden did have a lot of meetings and some friendly relations, and even that people of even his son had communications where the the guy, one of the main guys said like, "Oh, is there any way your dad can kind of help us out with this investigation?" So this would be like if this if this um, turns out the way I think it turns out, it sounds like Biden 
misused his power as vice president to essentially uh, to to get an investigation off his son. So that's an abuse of power. And if that's true, uh, Biden is potentially criminally liable. That's a big deal. You still there, Stephen? Oh, I can't hear you at all. Okay. Okay, we are back. Um, I know that I had some issues with my sound. So apologies. And now we are going to continue. Wait, is it actually recording again? Yep, we're back recording. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the biggest problem with this is that New York Post employees are attacking Facebook and Twitter for slowing the spread of their Hunter Biden story, calling the company's propaganda machines. So Twitter mm -hmm. and Facebook took actions on, on Wednesday to limit the distribution of a New York Post report on Hunter Biden. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ignore the riddled with hordes, holes, and wags flags because that's not true. Uh, Twitter <laughs> said it is looking to whether the story may have violated its policy of leaking hacked materials, but it really doesn't yeah, care about that stuff. Garbage. Facebook said it is having outside fact checkers look into the claims made in the piece. Except mm -hmm. outside Facebook fact checkers are really Democrat hacks. And, and to be fair, to be fair, they, it's not even their job to do that. Mm -mm, From a reputable, a reputable like um, source, like you know source like the new york post should yeah. not have to be fact checked that's more mm -hmm. of a courtesy they can do to their readership it's not yeah. their job to fact check things like that okay yeah so they are accusing facebook or twitter of censorship after the two platforms took action wednesday to limit the distribution of right-leaning tabloids business insider pitiful the post <laughs> reported to show a smoking gun email of Hunter Biden communicating with an official at Burisma, a Ukrainian natural gas company, while his father was vice president. Twitter responded by stopping users from posting links to the article, saying that the story may violate its policy against publishing hacked materials. Facebook retooled its algorithms to make sure the story does not appear at the top of the user's news feeds, while the claims in the story are fact-checked. Yeah. Post employees quickly responded, accusing both companies of liberal bias. This is a big tech information coup, a digital civil war. Of course, this is a, a screenshot of him saying the tweet cannot be sent. It couldn't be sent because the link has been identified by Twitter by our partners as being potentially harmful. Mm -hmm. Except there's only one group that's potentially harmful, and that's the Biden campaign. Mm -hmm. Facebook and Twitter are not media platforms. They're propaganda machines, the Post editorial board wrote Wednesday. It is simply yeah, well, I think it, for yeah, media can I, companies that's... Uh, yeah, go for it. All right. So one thing that's important here, and this is this is going to be this is going to come up very if 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 the Republicans get back in power and Trump gets back in power, this will come up. The question mm -hmm. is, are they platforms or are, are they publishers? Oh yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Platform is basically their job is just to provide a place for people to post. A publisher edits their content on their source. Yeah. A newspaper is an, as a publisher, and hence they can be sued. Platform is immune from from lawsuits for content that they share. Mm -hmm. The problem is that these companies are acting like publishers. Yeah. They are editing 
and they're uh, screening whatever's on their platform. So mm -hmm. this is a big deal yes, because yes. if that if that's proven, they're going to lose their platform status and they can now they can now be sued. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, like this is this is big tech censorship at its finest. This yep. is Facebook and Twitter are not just giving a platform for you to interact with your followers, interact with your friends on social media. They are deliberately making it so that they control the narrative of what information gets out and how it mm -hmm. is shared, which deliberately goes against what a publisher, what a platform is supposed to do. And it has them acting as a publisher saying, okay, we get to control what information gets to be out there and what gets published. Yeah. We are now and I the think, controllers of what people see and what people know is true. Yeah. Can I so yeah. one thing that I thought was interesting is like I think most of uh most of the viewers would know, yes, this has already been happening. Yes, mm -hmm. all of us have probably run into that, like, you know, your article has been flagged uh, for whatever reason. We've all run into that. Yeah, got one. But I yeah. think I think what's important here and very important to state is we can't overstate how this is different. Mm -hmm. Before it's all these like uh, sources that maybe are not like considered like very reliable. But this is the New York Post, and everyone has said this is a new. They've just crossed a new line. This mm -hmm. is not. This is not their usual stuff. This is now. They're now taking on legitimate, reputable, and well acknowledged uh, like media sources that have a, a top reputation, mm -hmm. and they're now. They've now crossed the line. Which is why the everyone's rightly saying this has gone too far. Yeah. And why there's investigations that are being launched against this thing. Yeah. So post columnist Miranda Devine echoed the arguments of the editorial board in her op-ed saying that Facebook and Twitter showed themselves to be corruptly partisan by only suppressing information that reflects bad, badly on the Biden campaign. Now, of course, when Twitter said that they their policy was against hacking, or using information that was acquired kind of surreptitiously. Um, did they ban Trump's tax returns? Did they ban a bunch of other reports like the Steele dossier, like all these mm -hmm. other either proven false or acquired in a less than above board measure? Nope, mm -hmm. because those attack Trump. So it becomes mm -hmm. corruptly partisan because they are only suppressing stuff on one side, which makes it into highly likely election interference by unaccountable global tech oligarchs to restrict information mm -hmm. that might damage the, damage the damage Democratic Party. Now, can I, can I throw something in here, Stephen? Yeah, go for it. So something that we didn't, we didn't really get to and really touch on with the New York Post article is yeah. that... Um, so this information came to Rudy Giuliani and Steve Bannon, mm -hmm. uh, I think it says, and they held on to it until closer to the election. Now that is yeah. obviously political, like you know, political mm -hmm. theater. They're Jerry, basically waiting. They're kind of waiting until the the best time to to get it. So obviously that's bad, but the problem isn't that you know like that that they're doing that is the fact that yeah. um, they're that this is still a, like a legitimate. Mm -hmm. Worthy of investigation, revelation, yeah. and so the um, they have no right to be to be doing this because now they're they're giving away that very obviously that they are completely and totally covering 
for the Biden campaign. Most people can kind of like uh, have plausible deniability. This this is mm -hmm. now obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the further follow up to this is that Republicans vowed to subpoena Jack Dorsey over Twitter blocks over Hunter Biden report. So this was just a, it wasn't that long ago. This is also breaking news. Uh, furious congressional Republicans vowed Thursday to subpoena the head of Twitter after the social media platform blocked the Trump campaign, an official government website, and scores of other users for sharing reports about Hunter Biden's emails. So, the in response to the censorship, Senator Ted Cruz, must it be his name? <laughs> no, that's a bit of heresy. Ted Cruz is great. Texas Republican and Senate Republicans <laughs> plan to compel Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey to explain his company's actions to a Senate panel next week. The Judiciary Committee wants to know what the hell is going on, Mr. Cruz told reporters. Chairman Lindsey Graham and I have discussed this at length, and the committee today will be noticing a markup on Tuesday to issue a subpoena to Jack Dorsey to testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee next Friday. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Percy tweeted now, Wednesday that the company bungled how, how it explained the crackdown on anti-Biden content. He said blocking the sharing of the news without context was unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But that's the problem. It's, it's not the blocking of the sharing of the news. It's just that it was without mm -hmm. context. Mm -hmm. If it had context, he would have totally been fine with doing it. Because mm -hmm. Jack Dorsey mm -hmm. is hyper-partisan. Oh, it's so, not even, not even, apparently, like, not apparently even hiding it. Still, Twitter has continued to lock the accounts of users who share the Unark Post articles involving Hunter Biden or the material in the stories, including a Trump mm -hmm. campaign's official official account. I think I'm going to include a special little bit at the. Should we do it? Oh no, I don't have what? Twitter. I don't have Twitter set up on my computer. Mm -hmm. I I will try and do it afterwards, and I will share what happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, from our official I, I, I should, Heckler's account. Well, I should mention, like you know, so there's there's a, a Republican senator that said that this might constitute like um, an illegal mm -hmm. campaign contribution yeah. because like contributions take a whole a whole bunch of different forms, but them actually doing this favors the Biden mm -hmm. campaign in sure. such a heavy-handed way that it actually might fall under like actual federal law, like, you know, against mm -hmm, like for sure. political interference. And so if that's the case, then Twitter and Facebook are, could potentially be in some serious criminal, yeah, criminal uh, problems. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge mistake by oh, both yeah. Facebook and Twitter. Cause if they, mm -hmm. if they are found guilty of that, they're in huge trouble. Yes, they are. Okay. So that's kind of the end of that topic. So the next one we're going to talk about is mostly uh, a story that's going to be brought to you by the one who can see. So kind of take it away, Danny. <laughs> All right. So, um, so basically there was, um, there's a group of lawyers in, uh, Germany, but also, but also like, you know, worldwide. And what they're doing is they're essentially bringing, um, they're, they're bringing an actual, uh, a, a lawsuit from, um, uh, they're bringing a lawsuit against like, uh, all these, uh, major, uh, um, all the government. So basically the idea is that these these lawyers from Germany and from different parts of the world are all uh, pulling the resources and they're saying they're going to sue the WHO and other major uh, organizations 
And the, the, the reason is because they believe that the lockdowns and all these measures that they've been recommending for everyone to, uh, to follow are causing immense amounts of damage. Now, obviously, you can make, they can make the case that, uh, oh, this is all necessary. The problem is that their justification for why these, health, these policies and these measures and these recommendations are completely illegitimate is the PCR tests. Now, for those of you who don't know, a PCR test is by far the most common test used to, uh, to actually like, uh, to test for uh, COVID. What most people don't know is that the PCR tests are notoriously faulty and they, they give um, false positives in such a massive scale that they're, they're considered almost like, um, almost like useless for what they're doing. So what they're doing is that the, these these uh, lawyer firms are probably going to launch an investigation, an actual uh, lawsuit uh, from either the U.S. or from Canada, and they're going to sue these organizations for damages and actually probably for uh, for like uh, probably some crimes against humanity. So this is a big, huge um, thing that's going to happen, and the big thing that that it really helped me to understand is that um, I knew that, uh, the, that most countries were using PCR tests. I, what I didn't know is how bad PCR tests are in, uh, in being able to, um, to, to figure out like, the infection rate. So um, one, of the, one of the links that, um, that this, um, this, these people did is they linked to an actual um, – uh, they talked about the actual uh, author, the, per the person who created – the PCR tests. Um, his name is. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. I just know uh, his last name is Drosten. Yeah. So it's Kerry Mullis. Kerry Mullis is the is the inventor of the and it, the PCR test is called the Polymerase Chain Reaction Technology Test. Now okay. he won a Nobel Prize for developing this test. And the initial context for those of you who don't know. The initial context for this test was for uh, testing for HIV. So mm -hmm. when he he was one of the researchers trying to figure out why are we not able to accurately test HIV uh, infection and like AIDS, there was a whole bunch of problems because HIV was notoriously difficult to test. So his contribution. So this is um, uh, Hiller, like oh sorry, Kerry Mullis, the inventor of the PCR test. His contribution and the thing that won him the prize is he developed a test that would help to find the trace elements that would help you to, fi to, to find, like, you know, uh, to, to be able to diagnose HIV or AIDS. Now, he said that the problem with this test is what it does is it takes very small fragments of, like, you know, like viral, viral uh, uh, pieces and mm -hmm. amplifies them using a, a repetitive process that essentially amplifies them so then you can actually reach them. Yeah. Here's the problem with that. He himself has said, this is not an appropriate test to detect viral infection, mm -hmm. okay? Which means that they're using this test, and if, you, if, you, if you've followed the news at all, there was a New York Times... Um, uh, like bombshell a while ago yeah. that said that 90%, and this mm -hmm. is the, the headline, 90% of the people who have been tested uh, using PCR tests 
don't need to isolate. In other words, yeah. they're most likely false positives or the amount of virus in their system is yeah. so small mm-hmm. that it doesn't even doesn't even like it, it shouldn't even be classified as mm. an infection because you're not going to be sick and you're not contagious. Yeah. However, I looked into this myself and I found out Canada is using the PCR test. That's their exclusive test that they're yep. they're, they're using to test for COVID-19. What they're not telling you is that the vast, vast majority of those tests, positive tests, are cons- are considered false positives. On top of that, if you actually look at the uh, the Canada, the the COVID nineteen Canada website, and also the Alberta one, when mm-hmm. you look at what a case is, they consider a case anything that not only just a positive test is a case, but also pending tests and yeah. people who are considered possibly, uh, you know, contagious. So if, if you've been in contact with somebody who has um, COVID, you're considered a case. Even though you haven't had a test, even though you're not even showing any symptoms, you're considered a case. Why are they doing this? A big possibility is they're doing this because they want these, these case numbers to be shot up. Now, mm-hmm. if you uh, if so, Stephen, if you go to the second uh, thing there, yep. okay. So scroll down a little bit, a uh, little bit down. Um, now, right there, the mantra by the um, this is the mantra by the WHO director, Dr. Tedros at at Hanum. Uh, I, I can't even pronounce the, the last one. His mantra I will try. is I will try. test, Wait. test, Caprices. I'm going to go with Ghebreyesus. Director General Dr. Tedros Adhamon Ghebreyesus. Terrible, terrible. Okay, so his... Shut your filthy mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So these are the the recommendations that the WHO said. He said testing is most important. Now, why are they pushing for testing? Now, the, the line that we're told is that Oh, you're testing because we want to make sure to have accurate numbers. However, that's not actually the case because what they're doing is they're ju- they're they're testing to such a massive degree that they're they're trying to get the case numbers up to justify the lockdown measures that they're using. Ontario, Quebec, and a lot of other countries all, all over the world, including Australia, they're using these massive upswings in cases to justify these uh, these policies but if you notice that the the cases are going up that so the testing goes up cases go up but the, the hospitalizations and the the actual deaths are not they're still remaining uh, stable so there is a lot going on and this is why the lawyers are launching this mm-hmm. this thing because they know that there's massive amounts of of fraud going on, and these these are artificial are artificially inflated cases. Yeah. So when you hear that Canada has, I forget what the last number was like, something like three hundred thousand cases or something like that, you need to think that they're more like maybe ten, uh, maybe thirty thousand cases are positive, like you know COVID, and less than those are probably contagious. So the important the important thing to remember. <laughs> is that the fact that there's an, an official 
like you know an official lawsuit that's that's going to be launched against the WHO shows that there is sufficient legal precedent and yeah. and, and rationale mm -hmm. to be able to make this case uh, before a court because they won't take it unless there's actual you know something that can some argument that can be made legally all right so mm -hmm. it's very important that, that people remember that uh, this is what's going on the case the PCR tests and the more I the more I look into it the more shocked I am at how completely and totally invalid these are mm -hmm. now what I, I'm gonna add one last thing here so uh, Stephen on that second article Yep. Uh, can you scroll down to the lack of a valid gold, gold standard? So go down a little bit. Uh, oh, sorry, a little, little up below the below the title. Um, go up, go up, go up, go up, go up. It says like the no, no. Keep going until it says the lack of a gold standard. There we there go. You go. So just below there. <clears throat> okay. So here it says. Moreover, it is worth mentioning that the PCR tests uh, used to identify these COVID patients. Um, do not have a valid gold standard to compare them with. So this is very important. So what what that means is that you can have a test for uh, some kind of like, you know, for example, for di for diabetes or for some mm -hmm. other thing, but you may, may have another way of comparing and seeing, oh, is this actually accurate? So you can, something very, e very reliable to test to see if this is actually an accurate test, mm -hmm. okay? This is, and I don't know enough about this, but essentially the reason they call it the gold standard test is because when you test if something, if gold is accurate, you do, uh, you, you scratch it against a certain surface to find mm -hmm. out if it's actually real gold or if it's fool's gold. You bite it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's <laughs> tests that you can do to find out if this is legitimately yeah. the real thing. The problem with PCR tests is that they have no way no way of knowing if these tests are accurate. And that is a major problem. And that is a major reason why people are calling into question whether or not these tests are actually legitimate or if we're just assuming that they must be legitimate. So I would really encourage mm -hmm. everyone, um, everyone who, um, uh, who's like following everything that's going on in Canada and the U.S. and everywhere else, I would really encourage you to start looking into reading up on PCR tests hmm. because yep. there are some seriously serious problems with ideals. them. And remember, everything, the lockdowns, the masks, the um, social distancing, all these things, everything that we're hearing is all resting heavily on PCR tests. Mm -hmm. And if PCR tests are complete garbage, then we have basically created a mass panic for mm -hmm. no reliable legitimate reason hmm. and i think that that's the case and the yeah. thing i think the more that this comes up the more we're going to find out that this is a massive problem hmm. right so yeah. that leads me to the final the final article that i i shared with steven so this is from the national post and this is basically something that both steven and i have been saying forever mm -hmm. like for since the spring so sweden is the the country that actually uh, launched a strategy of called focus protection? Mm -hmm. That's where you basically put the the people who are most vulnerable. You put you you put protections and all sorts of measures to keep them safe, and then you let you basically you have you let the regular populace 
live live in a kind of a a careful but mostly you don't need to worry too much about getting sick approach. And the reason why that's important is because the idea is that a natural immunity should develop in the people that are low risk, like children. And so what they're saying in National Post, and this has been said in so many places. So right right there, right where you were, Stephen, mm-hmm. right below the ad. So scroll a uh, little, little bit farther up, right there. It says they're already predicting that there's a second wave but that's going to be a deadlier one. And the reason is because, because these lockdowns are essentially preventing immunity from forming. And so what you're doing is you're actually making this disease be more deadly over, over time by not letting the public develop herd mm-hmm. immunity. And we already know enough about this virus to know that people under 20 are, are so unlikely to die from this disease that it's almost criminal to put them under lockdown and to force them to wear masks it's actually much more important to make sure that they they have they that they they live their lives to develop immunity because the only way that they're going to protect the vulnerable is by developing immunity you know Mm -hmm. those people who have like um i'm not saying that people should do this but like the same concept the people who have like um uh, chicken pox parties when they're like you know with their kids when they're little um the idea behind that is once you get it you develop an immunity and you're less likely to be to 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 get it later in this case this is what people should be doing this is what our politicians should be doing and last week Stephen talked about the great barrington um declaration, declaration. is that what it's yep. called yep. declaration and the same approach is there mm-hmm. don't don't lock down everybody. The lockdowns are not benign. They have real world consequences. They have serious, uh, serious uh, damage that is done not just to not just to like you know <clears throat> uh, people who are healthy, but also to society as a whole. And so the big the big picture here: PCR tests are extremely suspect. And we should be very concerned about the actual, uh, uh, the the fact that we're we're basing all of our policies and that we're going to lock down again, and they're mm-hmm. going to use PCR tests cases yeah. as the justification. So mm-hmm. you got the numbers here, Stephen? Uh, yeah. So right now, the current number of cases for Canada is one hundred ninety-one thousand. Yeah. And so, if you look at that number, the if if we know using what we know, we know that. Uh, the false positives are skyrocketing. They're through the roof. We know that they count a lot of uh, non-cases, so not positive cases, but pending cases and suspected cases. So that means that of that 191,000 cases that we have in Canada, most likely, maybe we have 10,000 or, or, or so actual people infected with coronavirus. Yeah. That is a legitimate possibility. Hmm. Why? Because these tests are crazy unreliable, and they're they're treating healthy people like they're yeah. like you know contagious, uh, super contagious, and it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hey, that is my that is my Matt spiel. That's your your spiel. All right. The last last topic we're going to talk about is going to be breaking news. So this was Ooh, just a few hours breaking ago. Breaking news. This is it. 
two o'clock today, which was six hours ago, but I guess that's still breaking. So <laughs> C-SPAN suspends Scully after he admits to lie about hacked. So they suspended their political editor, Steve Scully, indefinitely Thursday after he admitted to lying about his Twitter feed being hacked when he was confronted about a questionable exchange with former Trump aide Anthony Scaramucci. Uh, the news came on a day that was supposed to, be, uh, supposed to be a career highlight for the 30-year-old C-SPAN veteran. He was to moderate the second debate between the president and Democrat Joe Biden, which was canceled after Trump said he would not agree to a virtual format. That was not why it was canceled. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> it was canceled because Steve Scully engaged with Anthony Scaramucci, and then a whole whack of people said, hey, this is happening. He cannot be a moderator because he clearly cannot be biased or unbiased. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he cannot be. Um, yeah, so he... a week ago, Trump criticized Scully as a never-Trumper. Scully tweeted, at Scaramucci, should I respond to Trump? So that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Because, and of course, like, now he's like, saying if, I falsely claim. I, I, my I think if Scully, if Scully was playing uh, cards, he would have just given away his hand so much. He's like, <clears throat> he just obviously made a grand, like you know, grand mistake yeah. there. That was dumb, dumb move. So. C-SPAN said Scully confessed to lying with a hack on Wednesday. He understands he made a serious mistake. We are very saddened by this news, and we do not condone his action. Trump sees saying, I was right again. He <laughs> 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 was lying about his Twitter being hacked. The debate was rigged. Which, oh, yeah. Like, there's... So far, what we've seen is in the first debate, we had Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace... And he was so teamed, By the end of the debate, Chris Wallace had teamed up with Biden. The yeah. second debate, the vice presidential debate, was less rigged. It was definitely still a little bit problematic <laughs> in terms of when the moderator would cut each individual off. Mm. But it was definitely far better than the first debate. This, I think if this debate had actually happened, it would have been a repeat of number one. and then Possibly the worse. The third debate is next Thursday. Debatey 2020. Third debate 2020. I know it's next Thursday, but who's going to moderate it? Uh, final 2020 debate between President Trump and Democratic presidential Joe, nominee Joe Biden. Um, Debate Here, while, while you look it up, while, while you look it up, I'll uh, well, I I have, have to like say something. So, who's the moderator? The moderator, Kristen Wilker, is the White oh, House lady. correspondent for NBC News and co-anchor of Weekend Today. Oh yeah, she's going to be super, oh, yes. like you know, unbiased. Oh, it's going to be real bad. <laughs> oh yeah, real, real bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can. Yeah, you can have your piece. <laughs> so, um, one thing that I found interesting about the debate is like, um, so when they decided for the second debate how they were going to do it, they, they they decided we're going to do it like virtually by long distance and all that. The problem is they never talked. They announced it, but they never talked to either candidate. They never mm -hmm. asked each yeah. either team like, "Is this okay?" They just like, "Oh, this is how we're doing it," and so obviously like. Trump is like not going to go with that because 
he knows that cheating goes up through the roof when you're remote. How does he know they're not using a, a teleprompter? How yeah. does he know they're not feeding Biden lines? So already it yeah. was really sketchy. And mm -hmm. then on top of that, this this guy and the thing is, C-SPAN supposed to be the the nonpartisan, you know, like, like you know, public yeah. service channel or something like that. Government channel. Even yeah. they said, even even they said they were so disappointed because this guy has been working with them for so long, mm -hmm. and they were like, I mean, that was their public statement, obviously, but even they were disappointed. They're like, we were kind of like, this is our this is our guy, and he basically screwed up Royal, and now. Our reputation and his reputation is now forever ruined because sure. he he basically like he he basically and he, he himself said I he he reached out to Scaramucci because he was frustrated and let that be a lesson to you kids don't do something because you're frustrated because you're bound to make some dumb mistakes like seriously dumb mistakes and that's basically what happened with this with this guy so. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm kind of glad like this is and this is um like Trump is actually a very smart smart guy. He he knew that this was likely a um this was likely a made up story that you know it's very common for people to say, "Oh, my Twitter was hacked." The problem is that they were going to look into it. The second they they looked into it, that's when that that's when he's like, "Oh crap, I'm screwed because there's no way out of it. Once they investigate, it'll be obvious that I that I lied about it. So that's why he got caught. He had to confess. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that kind of takes over and finishes up the news segment. So um, for those who are watching, those who are listening, don't forget to follow, to share, and comment and like on the videos. Uh, those who have been commenting and following us on YouTube know that I try and engage fairly regularly. Uh, if you are on YouTube, give us a like. And please subscribe to our content. Uh, we hit 50 last week, and we're hoping to move towards 100 at breakneck speed. Yeah. As far as... Uh, Stephen you know, needs your love. He really does. He gets so depressed sometimes, and he just... He really desperately needs love. You pointed to the wrong side. You fail. Really? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Got it now. Like, I, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that the screen was flipped. I can switch, but you know, bad, 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 bad. <laughs> All right. So much love. Yeah, and then of course, um, other people. Uh, if you've been following, yesterday I uploaded a video of a debate I did <laughs> with someone by the name of Cassie on the Cassie's World podcast. I talked about her on last Thursday's episode about how I would be doing the debate, and I finally got around to doing it. And I might be clipping a bit of a segment in just to kind of give a trailer of what happened. Uh, I think probably the most interesting quote from that debate was <laughs> she said, well, you've raised some interesting points. And... Well, you haven't changed my mind 100%. I've definitely moved on a lot of things. So I'm probably like <gasps> 96 to 97%. <laughs> I'm like, you're okay, gonna, I'll take it. But you are going, you're going to Candace own her. That was the goal to own her? 
it was no no just... no Candace Owen Candace Owen well yeah I know who Candace Owens so. it's like you know so but like the idea is that Candace Owen is a conservative yeah, yeah. Uh, like you know speaker but she used to be pro-choice mm-hmm, that's true and then she was convinced that pro-life was actually a legitimate like you know viewpoint so I mean I'm I'm just saying I'm like hey I mean maybe <laughs> maybe you might Candace Owen her maybe but no. No, we had we had a very good chat, and cool. I look forward to trying to incorporate more people who disagree. I'm trying to actually potentially move into our Tuesday segment, a session called Across the Aisle, where we have deliberate conversations with those who disagree and have rational discussion and rational dialogue and see if we can find common ground. Just You're like a Nazi! You shut your filthy mouth. <laughs> You're going through the camera. Nice job. <laughs> All right. Also, um, I'm getting oh, I'm this way. That's what I'm doing too. I am getting <laughs> the one who can see over here. I'm getting the one who can see. And he is going to run our Apple podcast. So we will be up on almost every podcast platform via both Apple and Anchor. So if you're listening and not watching, then you now have another source of which you can watch and listen. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our content and being our valued audience members. So without further ado, have a great weekend. Good night and God bless. Sleep tight.